Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. What constitutes long can vary by the publication. You know, for example, at the game news, you know, when I write stories, you know, we have some that are, you know, there's one called the campfire, which is kind of a personal essay that might be 400 words, but a typical feature in a magazine could be anywhere from 1500 to 2,500 words. If it's something big, like our deer season forecast, it might be 3,500 words, uh, but our just down the street, you know, the Pennsylvania fish and boat commission, they put out a magazine called Pennsylvania angler and boater. I do some freelance work for them and uh, you know when you submit stories they'll tell you that their word count is anywhere from 300 to 900 words at the out you know at the most so it's you know they run a lot of stories but short stories welcome back to another episode of the conservation unfiltered podcast presented by conserve the wild i'm your host jason creighton and this is episode number 159 the people you meet with Bob Fry. Now today, I'm talking with Bob Fry of the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Bob is formerly the outdoor columnist for the Tribune Review and currently the associate editor of the PA Game News. During the conversation, Bob details how he started his writing career, gives advice on how to become an outdoor writer, and shares tips for how to hone your writing skills. He also dives into some of his favorite stories from his career. Whether you are a DIY weekend warrior or a professional electrician, you need quality tools and supplies to get the job done. And there's no better place to get what you need than Allegheny Valley Wind Electric in Brackenridge, PA. With an extensive stock of Milwaukee tools and quarterly deals, they have the tools you are looking for. Right now, during their summer savings on tools event, mention a Conservation Unfiltered podcast in store for 5% Milwaukee tool savings. Don't forget to say hi to Cam when you stop in. Welcome back, everyone, to the show. Thank you for joining me. And uh, I want to I want to say thank you to the special guest that we have here today. Uh, this is someone that I have known about for what feels like uh, my entire life. Uh, and that's because I have read a lot of what he has written. And that is Bob Fry. Bob, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, th- this is, uh, you know, it was only maybe two months ago now uh, that uh, I actually got to meet you in person now that I'm a member of the Pennsylvania Outdoor Rare Association. We met at the annual conference and uh, I have to admit I was a little starstruck, right? Like uh, I'm trying to break into this outdoor media uh, with the podcast, been doing this for, for a number of years now. And, you know, here's someone that uh, I, you know, read a, every just about every single article that that you have put out there uh, at your previous post which we'll get into and uh, I was a little bit starstruck getting to meet you and now I'm getting to talk to you like th- this is uh, something that if you would have told me you know uh, high school me that I would get a chance to do this uh, I would have been very surprised so thank you for joining me this is definitely something that I am very happy and excited about no thanks thanks for the kind words I appreciate it so let's, you know, for someone like me, uh, getting started in outdoor media, right? Uh, it's been um, very sort of like backwards and I'm not doing anything. I, I never did anything special. I didn't go into any kind of schooling for this. Like uh, I'm a high school teacher by profession, uh, just someone that enjoys the outdoors, uh, randomly wrote an article for someone else's blog, didn't get paid for it. And then that just sort of kicked off this whole uh, ball of wax that's just, or, or I guess a snowball down the hill that just sort of keeps getting bigger and bigger for me. Um, but can you tell us, like, what, how did you start your career as an outdoor writer? Well, really, it goes back to when I first 
got into hunting and fishing, I guess I had fished, you know, a lot when I was little, but my dad was not a hunter or a fisherman, but my, uh, my maternal grandfather was, you know, and he was big into both. And so he took me fishing and I was, I think 14, the first year I went hunting and I just absolutely fell in love with it, you know, and I you know, and then just because I probably talked about it so much, I had another uncle, my dad's brother, who also was not a hunter or fisherman, but he was a custodian at a local middle school. And, uh, he showed up one time with six copies of Outdoor Life magazine, three of which the covers had been written, ripped off. You know, the school was getting rid of them. And he thought, well, maybe I would enjoy them. And <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what, I devoured them. I read every story and every issue, even, you know, back then they used to have certain like uh, sort of regional stories. So I was even reading stories about flounder fishing in Massachusetts, which I had no chance of ever getting to, you know, but I just was I couldn't believe that people that were doing the things that I love to do more than anything actually got paid to do it. And so, you know, I, right away, I got a subscription to outdoor life. I got a subscription to field and stream, you know, maybe a year later, I realized that the game news existed. I got that. And I would just read these magazines and, uh, you know, I knew to the day when they were coming in the mail and I'd read them all cover to cover. And I was just like, this is what I have to do. You know, I, I can't imagine sitting in an office all day. I can't imagine, you know, uh, only doing this stuff on the weekends, there's got to be some way like these guys in the magazines that do what you do, do what you love the most and actually get paid for it. So uh, probably from the time I was a junior in high school, I decided that I wanted to be an outdoor writer. So I, I went to school with the University of Pittsburgh. I got a journalism degree and I found out then that it was not exactly as easy as I thought, you know, you don't step out and become a, a full-time staffer for field and stream. Those jobs are pretty rare, but found myself working for newspapers yeah, you know, as a news reporter covering things that I never wanted to write about, like school board meetings where coaches get fired or, you know, township meetings where they're arguing about sewage bills and things. But uh, at every stop along the way I went, I I would volunteer to be, you know, I would write outdoor stories. Nobody had to pay me extra at the newspapers. If they would just give me the space, I would write stories and fill it. And then it kind of took off from there. And I've, you know, written for magazines as well. And I've done some books, but really it was just I had such a passion to do it that I was looking for any avenue that would let me do this kind of thing for a living. And then, you know, after a while, I got to be the full-time outdoors guy, the Tribune Review. And then when that ended, uh, you know, I ended up here at the Game News uh, writing. And so I'm I'm getting to do exactly what I love and what I've always wanted to do. And I'm very thankful for it. So, you know, you hear a lot of people uh, talk about, like me, falling into certain things backwards a little bit. Um, but you had a, a definite... Uh, idea and goal of where you wanted to be from a relatively young age you know do you, with that was there ever a time where you were like hey you know not only do I want to be an outdoor writer uh, but I remember these stories of you know flounder fishing in Massachusetts or maybe it's hunting out west uh, did you ever find yourself like I want to go somewhere else to do this writing or what? Or were you always cool with just staying here in Pennsylvania, and and this was really all you ever sort of needed? No, I never, never necessarily looked at it as if I want to do this, I have to go somewhere else. I mean, you know, of course, you know, and I'm sure all the folks listening know, you know, the traditions we have here in Pennsylvania, and you know, the amount of space we have to do things, and how many hunters and anglers we have, and so uh, you know. It never felt like I had to go anywhere else to do it. I mean, I've traveled some to do different things, but no, I never felt like I, I had to leave here. And then, of course, at the same time, you know, I was married. I had a couple kids come along. And so, you know, life kind of, you know, sometimes dictates what you want to do or where you want to go or family kind of stuff gets involved, too. But no, it seemed like I was able to do everything I wanted to do pretty much right from where I was, so. That I mean, that makes life a whole lot easier, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned your current position now, right? So I was I was very disappointed um, whenever I realized after probably like a month of not seeing any articles from you at the Tribune Review. Um, after about a month, it was like I don't I don't think Bob's writing for them anymore. I was very disappointed, right? Like I look, I was one of those people uh, that looked forward to uh, the articles that you put out. And I come to find out that you have taken a new position at the Pennsylvania Game News. So what is the, an associate editor? What what all does that entail? Okay, the associate editor at Game News, we actually have a, a staff of like three full-time people. There's Travis Lau, who's the editor-in-chief, and he's the, the number one guy at the magazine. And then there's another associate editor, myself, Bob D'Angelo, and me. 
we both uh, serve under Travis, and that means that <clears throat> we pretty much are, uh, we kind of split the duties up, but we both are involved with Travis and putting the magazine out every month. You know, I write, primarily I work as a writer. I write a lot of stories for the game news, but also if there are freelancers, uh, you know, that submit stories or folks that aren't even writers per se, they're just hunters that's had a neat experience and they want to write a story and they submit that to us. You know, I'll work with them if, you know, the, uh, if their text needs refined or cleaned up a little bit or that kind of thing, uh, you know, and, uh, and then we also do some uh, sort of press responsibilities and that I write some press releases for the game commission. If Travis is our main contact, if say a newspaper or a TV station wants to talk to somebody or ask questions, but if, if Travis is out for some reason, Bob and I will share those kind of duties and whatnot, but primarily day to day, I'm, I'm writing stories, same as I was before. I'm taking pictures for the magazine and I'm doing a lot of editing. What's it like being an editor? Uh, it's, it's different. I had, I had done that early in my newspaper career. I did some editing stuff. And in the last 18 years at the paper, I was just writing all the time. I wasn't really editing. Uh, so it, yeah, it's, it's, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I like getting to work with some of the other writers to see, you know, how other people do things, um, you know, and sometimes be able to help somebody that say, Hey, this is a really good story there. or There's a nugget of a good story here, but we need to, you know, tweak it a little bit or, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when you're in high school, if, you know, the teacher said you had to write a thousand word story or a 500 word story. You always wanted the 500 one because you thought, how am I possibly going to cut this down? Well, sometimes in the newspaper business or the magazine business, you know, people get rolling and it's hard to stop. And so, you know, even myself, you know, I'll write a 2000 word story. And my first thought will be, man, that's as good as that can be. You can't touch it. And then when I found out, well, we only have room for 1500 words and you have to cut 500 out. You think, oh, my gosh, you know, that's like asking me. Which limb do I want to get rid of, you know, but then you go through and you rewrite it and edit it and you can get it down to be really tight and focused and uh, whatnot. And so a lot of that is what I get to do with some of the outdoor writers or, you know, freelancers that we work with is help them refine stuff, uh, you know, make things tighter, make them more readable. Because in the end, that's what we always say, that the reader is our, that's who we're serving, right? We don't, maybe the first story you ever write for publication, you write it for yourself to be able to see it in print or online. But after that, you know, you kind of write for the reader. So whatever we can do to make stories the best that we can make. And that's what we do. So uh, let, let's keep sort of rolling with this idea of, of um, being long winded and, and trying to cut it down and, and talk about some tips for people that are trying to be outdoor writers or think they might want to do that or might want to submit an article. So like, I'm the type of person just that, like you mentioned, right? Like I, once I get rolling, I just keep going. Uh, and I end up with some very long articles, which when I post them, you know, on my website, that's not a big deal. It doesn't matter because it's my website, but as far as, you know, submitting stories and submitting articles, you know, there's typically going to be, like you said, you know, just, uh, a word limit or a limit. It can only be so long because there's only so much space in a magazine or in a newspaper. Uh, so what kind of tips can you give someone to keep them from just putting way too much uh, information in or using too many words when they're writing about the outdoors? Okay. Well, I would say first that, you know, what constitutes a long story and there's nothing wrong with long stories. I like writing long stories myself where you do a lot of research and whatnot. And, uh, there's nothing wrong with a long story as long as it's readable, but what constitutes long can vary by the publication. You know, for example, at the game news, you know, when I write stories, you know, we have some that are, you know, there's one called the campfire, which is kind of a personal essay that might be 400 words, but a typical feature in a magazine could be anywhere from 1500 to 2,500 words. If it's something big, like our deer season forecast, it might be 3,500 words. Uh, but our, just down the street, you know, the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission, they put out a magazine called Pennsylvania Angler and Boater. I do some freelance work for them. And, uh, you know, when you submit stories, they'll tell you that their word count is anywhere from 300 to 900 words at the out, you know, at the most. So it's, you know, they run a lot of stories, but short stories. So the first thing I do is tell folks to, you know, kind of study the magazine you're looking for. You know, in a lot of magazines, if you go on their websites, we'll even have what they call writer's guidelines which they'll tell you everything from, you know, if you're writing a seasonal story about, let's say, trout fishing in the spring, how early they need it. It could be, you know, six or nine months in advance. It could be two months. But they'll also tell you, like, suggested word counts. And so that'll give you an idea of, like, how many words you want to start with. So you don't, 
write 2,500 words for a magazine that never runs more than 900, right? So that's one place to start. Then beyond there, there's a book, and I don't know the name of the author, but it's called Write Tight, which I always tell people uh, to look at because it will tell you there's lots of great tips in there that I use it all the time. Still, I go back and read and refresh things about how to, you know, write in what they call the active voice, where instead of saying like maybe, uh, you know, I was walking down the street, you say I walked down the street. Well, you know, that only cuts out one or two words, but when you do that over the course of an article, before you know it, you're 200 words shorter, just there, you know, or Another thing is uh, a lot of us write first person stories where, you know, use the word I. And when I'm editing stories, a lot of times what I'll do right from the get go is I'll I'll note how many words in the original. And then I count, you know, and you can do this in Word. It counts it right for you. You say, how many times did somebody use the word I? And in a 1500 word story, if they use the word I, let's say 87 times, I know that we can rewrite that. And we can probably get down to where they say the word I 30 times, uh, you know. And so just by rewriting a sentence, instead of saying, you know, uh, something like I woke up when the alarm went off and I walked down the to the kitchen and as I poured myself a cup of coffee, I looked out, you know, at the cold and wondered what I was doing. You've used the word I four times where you could maybe say, you know, when the alarm went off, I stumbled downstairs, poured a cup of coffee and thought about what the day was going to bring or something like that. And you've used the word I one time instead of four, you know, and it doesn't seem like a lot, but that just makes it that tightens up your story and it makes it so less focused on I, I, I all the time and more gives you more words that you can use to, uh, you know, explain what you're feeling or what you're seeing, you know, uh, really put somebody in the scene without having to say I all the time. So, uh, so just those kind of things in general, just, or even I set myself a goal. Sometimes I'll write a story and I'll say, okay, I'm going to make a copy of this and I'm just going to pick out a number. Say I'm going to try and cut this story by 20%. And see if I can do it in less words, you know, and just kind of challenge yourself with a kind of a goal in mind. And a lot of times you'll find that you've cut it by maybe more than 20 percent. You thought, oh, OK, and this is actually better than the original version. Right. So have, just some things like that. Have you ever like gone back and looked at some of uh, you know, maybe a, a story or an article that you wrote, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago um, that could still be relevant now? Uh, but go back and, and try to not rewrite it, but sort of like make it better, right? To to be able to re-release it or even just to practice your skills of this is how I wrote then. This is you know how I would prefer to write now. Um, have you ever done anything like that? And and if so, like, is that, would you consider that to be like a good exercise to do to to keep yourself fresh? Oh, yeah, definitely. I go back all the time. Sometimes I'll read a story that uh, and I remember at the time I was like, man, this is really good. And then you read it five years later because I do hang on to stuff just to look at it and think, boy, not that it was bad. But if, if I knew now what I knew then, yeah, this would be a whole lot different, you know. So, uh, for example, you know, I would write it in less words or I might, you know, early on, a lot of times when I was interviewing people, you know, I was I was really quote heavy, I think, sometimes. And I would quote people you know, 10 times, whereas now I would think if I could go back and do it, I would quote them four times and I would really kind of hone in on what they, you know, the key of what they were saying, but I would use some of those words to sort of describe the scene or what it felt like to be there or what that person, you know, when they were giving me this quote, did they have a pain look on their face? Cause this was something that they were really beaten down by the job or, you know, were they so excited because they just experienced something that they had never thought. And I would really kind of do some things to put the reader there. So it was almost like, okay, you know, they were sitting at my shoulder and we all experienced this and knew what it was like, as opposed to just, I don't know if you'd want to say clinical, but you know, yes, I, I said, you know, I quoted the person, I told them what they said, but I didn't really give you a feel for, you know, what were they wearing? Were they, you know, what, how excited were they? How beaten down were they? What was it? What did it smell like there? You know, that kind of thing. What about like, breaking into being an outdoor writer like how would you if so i'm coming to you and i'm saying i would like to be an outdoor writer um how what would kind of guidance would you give me or you know what let's say a high school student what kind of of guidance would you give a high school student to try to help them move along to become an outdoor writer um well i would say again i would you know i would figure out like what what do you like to read? You know, what magazine do you read? What blog do you read? That kind of thing and see who else is doing it and not that you're going to copy them, but, you know, figure out what is it that they're doing or how they're doing it that I, 
that attracts me, what you know that I enjoy. So kind of figure out like, okay, this is this is a style I want to write in, or this is a subject I want to write about. That's a big one just because lots of times at magazines, you know, <clears throat> back in the day, uh, when you had to send letters out, you know, on actual paper and wait for weeks to get responses, you know, sometimes you would get notes back from editors that said, hey, this is a great story idea, but we're not the magazine to run it. You know, you got to pitch this somewhere else. So, you know, in addition to finding out what you want to write about in the style, you know, do some research. You don't have to spend a ton of money. You can go to Barnes and Noble and browse through the magazines on the rack or go to your library and, you know, find out who is it that is running the kind of stories that you want to do. You know, like if you want to write first person experience stories, you know, maybe North American Whitetail or somebody like that, write stories about people, you know, that had a cool experience in the woods, other store, other magazines, you know, they're not interested in first person stories. They want you to, if you're going to research something or talk to a biologist and, you know, or somebody that does food plots and talk about how to do great food plots, you know, quote the quote expert, you know, that's the kind of magazine they want. So kind of figure out, uh, you know, what the market is before you ever really write your first story, but before you put your first word down, figure out which magazines or blogs or whatever the case might be, are the ones that will, have are realistically potential markets for you. Then, like I said, figure out like who you really enjoy writing, you know, reading. And is it that they, you know, is it they're kind of lighthearted and you think you could do sort of that same kind of thing? Is it that, uh, you know, some of the guys, you know, that I grew up reading that, you know, just like I said, you know, they would talk about, you know, walking into a, an old time gun shop and they're talking to somebody about skeet shooting but they're talking about you know the hardwood floors and there's the bird dog laying on the you know floor by the counter and you know three old guys sitting in the corner drinking coffee and telling stories and you really get a feel for for what's in there you know kind of learn to pick up those details and that's something i had to learn you know that like even now i'll go in if i'm carrying a notebook or something i'll just look around and before we even get started i might just jot some notes down about what does it smell like in here you know and don't just say, oh, there's guns behind the counter. Are they all, you know, state-of-the-art kind of new guns? Or is this the kind of shop that there's, you know, a bunch of classic old doubles in there or something like that? Or they have a bunch of used single shots because they get a lot of kids through here. You kind of set the scene so that people know exactly, you know, what this store is like. Or, you know, this is not the chain kind of thing. Or is this, you know, a chain where there's people just flowing in and out like crazy and really kind of set the scene, that kind of stuff. So that can help you break in. And then just last, don't be afraid to, you know, to put yourself out there. I'm one of the things that I have noticed that since I've been here at Game News is that I'm sort of surprised that if anything, that we don't get more freelance pitches than we do. Uh, you know, I, you know, we have a stable of five or six guys that write for us all the time, you know, that write, you know, we have a regular monthly bow column, a regular monthly gun column, uh, you know, some guys will write for that. They might write for, we have a column called Crossings, which is sort of a one page personal essay we get but again you know we have six eight nine guys that kind of rotate through all those and there are other ones that we get a story from and it's like wow this is really good but we never hear from them again or or they'll submit a you know a story and they'll say like hey i'm not i'm not a writer or i'm just breaking in and you guys probably don't want this anyway so don't be afraid to reject me because i'm expecting it anyhow but you know and then you're reading you're like wow this is really good or there's some potential here i wish this person would send us more stuff you know but i'm surprised that we don't get more things so don't be afraid to to put yourself out there if i had a stack of rejection letters and you know when i got started for all the story and ideas i pitched that didn't work I, you know i could probably heat my house for a winter you know so <laughs> so, so. I mean, what about um the, just because there's a lot of talk nowadays about college and and whether it's worth it or not like would you you went to journalism school, you know, like, mm -hmm. would you suggest to someone that's interested in being an outdoor writer to go to journalism school? Or would you say you don't have to do that nowadays? I wouldn't say it's an absolute must. I mean, I think I definitely got some stuff out of it because you work with a lot of journalists, you know, a lot of the professors were journalists before, you know, had worked for newspapers or magazines and and so there are some benefits there in terms of just contacts, too, because they can help you, whether it's an internship or just to say, you know, hey, I know this this person that might be interested in the kind of stuff you're doing. So there are certainly benefits to that, but I wouldn't say that it's an absolute necessity. I would think more than anything, and this is what I tell folks all the time, if you're interested in writing is just write a lot and do like we just said, you know, 
even if you get, you know, you write a story and a magazine gets rejected, you know, rejects it, that doesn't necessarily mean that some other magazine won't take it six months from now, you know, so just write lots of stories. And then, you know, when you get them sold, take a critical eye and look at those and say, okay, what made this one work? And then the one that you get back that didn't work, say, okay, was it, was the market wrong or did I, you know, did I promise something that I didn't deliver or, you know, is there some way, you know, if I could do it over again, would I do something different? Or I realized that, you know, I needed, you know, if you're going to quote other people, maybe there's like one person I really needed to get in this story because they're sort of central to this issue. And I didn't get them for whatever reason, you know, whether I couldn't reach them or I ran out of time with my deadline and, you know, could I get that person and try again? But uh, just to write a lot, even like I said, when I was starting out and, writing all those stories I didn't have any interest in like sewage and school boards and all those things. I mean, just the fact that what you're writing, you know, and writing on deadline and learning to turn things around. And uh, I think all that has benefits. So whether you write for, you know, you know, even if you're primarily focused on wanting to be an outdoor writer, if you go on vacation somewhere and you think, Hey, I can maybe write a story about what my family did at this place we visited. That's another opportunity to write, you know? So just, I would say write a lot and, and then rewrite and self-edit and look at that stuff. And that's really what will help you get better. So you mentioned, you know, so we know that, that you were uh, an outdoor writer and writer about, as you mentioned, sewage and, and other uh, sort of regular journalism type stuff at Tribune Review. You're writing now for the PA Game News. You mentioned that uh, you freelance from time to time as well. Um, What's the difference between being a staff writer and a freelancer? Well, it, not that you can't do it, but to make a full-time living as a freelancer can be a pretty tough gig because you're, uh, you know, you're getting paid by the story. There's no, uh, you know, dedicated paycheck every two weeks, that kind of thing. So a lot of freelancers, uh, you know, either have something else they do on the side or if they are a full-time freelancer and they can make it, go certainly uh you know you have to be prepared to be very busy and to write about almost everything right if i know guys that if they go to let's say you know they travel to florida and they're going to a story on uh you know bass fishing down there where they grow really big they don't go to florida and write one story and come home they'll go to florida and write one story on uh you know maybe it's a where to kind of piece about you know here's three great places in florida to catch really big bass they might also do a story for a different magazine on here's how to catch really big bass on topwater frogs, you know, so they get a second story of that same trip. Then they might, while they're down there, uh, you know, talk to the convention and visitors bureau and do a story about, you know, well, this is the town I stayed in. So could I write a story about, you know, vacationing in Key West, wherever it might be, you know, and they'll look for, you know, the chance to make five or six sales out of every kind of trip like that. Right. So you got to be willing to, to really kind of look and, see multiple opportunities for income and every, every kind of thing that you do everywhere that you go. So if you had, which you do, right? Like if you had the choice, like w would you prefer being a staff writer as, as you are now at the game news, or would you prefer that sort of nomad uh, fly by the seat of your pants, freelance lifestyle? Uh, you know, to be honest, when I first got into this, that was kind of my idea was that I would like to be the freelance guy and I would just kind of go everywhere, do everything, not be, you know, necessarily, like I said, I never wanted to be in an office every day. So that kind of freelance gig, that seemed like, you know, that was the dream, you know, and a uh, little bit of that was, uh, I don't know, a little bit of naivety. Like I said, I realized that when I got out of school, that like, you know, those opportunities were not, you know, like not everybody that was an outdoor writer got to do that kind of thing, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, everything worked out. Okay. It was, there was a point though. Yeah. When I thought, well, that would be, that would be pretty cool to do. I always used to say that every day out of the office was a win for me anyway. You know, even when I was at the newspaper, right. I mean, there were days you had to, you looked outside and it was awesome outside weather wise. You thought, boy, this would be the perfect day to go fishing or something. And, but you thought, okay, I've already like spent three days interviewing fishing and being on the streams, taking water. Now I have to like buckle down and sit here and no matter what, I have to get this story written. Right. So then, I mean, even those days were kind of tough. So, uh, but there are benefits too, to certainly to being a, a full-time staff person, all the normal things, you know, that you've got the steady paycheck, you've got the benefits, you have all those kind of things, which, you know, at sort of the midpoint of my career when my kids were all at home and whatnot, those were all 
good things to have when you when you're raising kids and you got to put braces on them and uh, you know all that fun kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, for me personally, you know that that steady paycheck, that knowing, you know, roughly what you're getting every two weeks and um, that kind of stuff, that definitely puts me at a little bit of ease, right? Um, you know, but you know, to each their own, right? To whatever works for people. Uh, you've had this this long career. Uh, I'm sure that you have covered. I'm not I'm sure because I've read some of the things that that you've written about that you've covered. You know what what are some of the stories that you really like covering? Uh, well, like I said, any day out of the office is great. So I've always any kind of story that I could work on where I would go and interview people or tag along and see what they did. You know, outside as opposed to doing a phone interview. Those were always the kind of things I liked. But uh, yeah, I've had some opportunities to do some neat kind of things. I always. Appreciate like when, you know, you know, deer management has always been the hot topic here in Pennsylvania, probably always will be, you know. So when the game commission was proposing some of the big changes, they were 15 or 20 years ago, and they were the first place in the country to be trapping, you know, collecting fawns and giant butterfly nets to be able to go out and tag along on some of those research projects that had never been done before. That was always cool kind of stuff. And, and just some of the average people that you meet, uh, you know, that, are great hunters or great fishermen or that have overcome something to be in the woods or on the water. I mean, uh, you know, been a lot of great people over the years, that kind of stuff was always fun. Uh, so really, I, you know, and then covering commission meetings, sometimes you would sit in board meetings for eight hours and sometimes those would start to feel a little bit like, you know, oh, this is not what you had in mind when you were 17, you know, kind of thing. But even those were sort of interesting. I, there's nothing I've done as an outdoor runner that didn't, that I really didn't enjoy. I mean, I've really enjoyed it all. I think. What what are one or two of like your best stories, the ones that you feel like you covered extremely well or you thought was like this was so interesting that even if everyone else didn't want to read it, like I'm glad that I got to write this story? Oh, well, I think one, and this ended up not being a story, but as a whole series of stories, sometimes newspapers, and I don't know if they do it quite as much back in the day and now, but back in the day, you know, uh, you know, when I worked before I was at the Tribune Review, I worked at a, another paper that was owned by the company called the Valley Independent in Manessa, and that was right around 2000, 2001. That's when Gary Altwood had taken over the Game Commission's deer management program. And, you know, we were talking about for the first time ever antler restrictions and, you know, increasing doe harvest to account for habitat changes and stuff. And I convinced the powers that be at the newspaper to let me do this like, uh, I think it ended up being about 24 pages. So it was basically one entire newspaper just on deer management in Pennsylvania and history of it and how things had changed and where we were going. And there was a photographer of the paper that, like myself, his dad didn't hunt, but he had grown up. He had an uncle that hunted, and they had a camp right off of Winslow Hill up near Benazette. So he was a photographer. He was a diehard like me. And so we spent about nine or ten months just traveling all over the state interviewing, uh, you know, biologists and regular Joe deer hunters. And, you know, we found the guy that had been the deer biologist for the game commission in the 1920s was still alive. He was in his nineties, but we found him. And, uh, you know, we just, and it was crazy because since that wasn't my regular job, we would have to work these deals where I'd say, okay, if I work Saturday and Sunday for no pay, would you let me take Friday and be out of the office? And so this photographer and I would, you know, drive 600 miles in three days and interview people from like Erie to Lancaster to the Poconos, you know, all in one weekend and come back. But it was just, it was a fascinating time because everything, it was, you know, it was so much going on and so many changes in such a short period of time. And, you know, you could go to deer meetings and there would be a thousand people there literally ever all across the state night after night. And uh, so that was really rewarding to be able to do that. And then a year later, we sort of did the same thing that, uh, 2001 they were having the first ever modern day elk hunt the first one since 1931 so we spent about six or eight months traveling all around pennsylvania's elk country and talking to people that loved the elk but didn't want hunting people that loved the elk and wanted hunting people that thought uh you know that the game commission and dcnr were you know i don't know in some kind of conspiracy i remember one guy saying you know that he thought they were purposely leaving tranquilizer or darts on his properties they might step on them uh, you know, kind of thing so we did that and you know did another 24 page section and we syndicated it. And so papers all around the state picked it up and bought it and that kind of stuff. That was a lot of fun too. What I got to ask, what's it like uh, covering stories that maybe it, 
maybe you have an opinion on, but trying to write about it in an unbiased fashion. How how does how do you wrestle with that in your head? Yeah, that's a tough one because you know, if you're an outdoor writer, you you're as passionate about this as everybody else is, right? You know, you're a deer hunter just the same as the guy that thinks they're trying to kill all the deer and just as much as the guy that thinks, you know, that the management plan, whatever it might be, is the exact right way to go. And you have your own feelings based on, you know, your own time in the woods and whatnot. And so my goal was always just to sort of be, uh, to have both sides think I was fair. A lot of times you all, you know, you had to go into these interviews knowing that one side or the other, or maybe both is not really going to be entirely happy with you. You had to almost be willing to be the most unpopular guy in the room sometimes other than the guy making the decisions about deer management. Cause even he might not like you sometimes, but you just had to kind of, uh, you know, get both sides, talk to both folks, uh, you know, it didn't necessarily mean just quoting person A and then letting person B rebut them. You know, if there was one side had done a whole lot of research and had stuff to back up their point and the other side didn't, you know, I always felt it was like my obligation to the reader to point that out because again, you know, that's who we're serving. You're trying to, all the folks who are going to read this, you know, you want to sort of, I don't even know if educate's the right word, but you want to at least let them know, you know, what you've learned and you know what it's based on and so that they're going to make their own decisions or debate when they go to camp or whatever that they can talk about you know almost like you'd say here's a platter and everything i've learned is on here you know that kind of thing right but but again just you know point that kind of stuff out but give every you know try to talk to every side don't just say well i think that guy over there is wrong so i'm not even going to ask him talk to those folks let them have their say let them try to convince you and then kind of present to the readers here's what I've heard on both sides and, you know, and then you can kind of make up your mind based on, you know, what they've said and what their opinions are based on. And you take that for what it's worth. You know, you came up in, in the beginning of your career and what I would sort of look at as being, if not the, at least very close to the golden age of magazines and, and newspapers. Uh, and things have changed since then. You know, we're, it's a lot more online media, um, you know, a lot of publications or, or a lot of organizations that put out, you know, print uh, publications are, are doing it less often now uh, than they used to. Um, there are some newspapers that it seems like 90% of their content uh, is solely online and, and not even printed in the newspaper. So uh, what do you think about these changes? Like how have you been able to adapt yourself for these changes? Uh, I think some of the changes have certainly been good and bad. Uh, you know, my last three years at the Tribune review, for example, when our, you know, for a while we were immune to some of the changes that other papers were experiencing because we were owned by a billionaire, an individual, not a chain. And so when other papers were cutting staff or whatnot, we were able to keep kind of trucking along for a while. And then unfortunately when he passed, you know, we've, we felt some of those changes as well. And I found myself the last three years working on the digital media side of our newspaper. And so my stuff still ended up in print, but initially it all went on online, first of all. And uh, there's some good to that. I mean, there's some immediacy. You, know, you can, you know, include links to stories that, you know, you can't really in print, you can mention a link, but then somebody's got to go from the paper to their phone or their computer or whatnot. So, I mean, some of those kind of things were easier. Uh, but there were also challenges too. I, you know, we would bring in what they call SEO or search engine optimization specialists who would look at your stories and tell you like, okay, if somebody's going to Google something, you know, you could write the greatest story, but because we don't have the footprint yet, since we're, the paper had been around forever, but the digital media side would had not, you know, if somebody Googles this, you wrote a great story, but Google ranks you like 97. So nobody ever gets to your story. Right. And so, I can remember writing a story at one point that the game commission, one of the game commissioners was proposing letting people buy a second tag. It would let you take a second buck in Pennsylvania, but you would have to, there was going to only give me a hundred thousand of them and they were going to cost a hundred bucks a piece. And so it was going to be a lottery. And I wrote that story and it was the most popular story on our website for two days, which is a newspaper business is you know, an eternity. And we went to a meeting and one of these search engine optimization people came in and said, you know, oh, well, there's stories that we should and shouldn't write. And this is one we shouldn't. And I said, well, it's the most popular story we've written. And you're telling me I shouldn't do it. You know, what What exactly should I be writing? And she said, well, I'm not a, a outdoors person at all, but, 
you know, we need to link to things that we can sell and different things. She said, so there's probably, said, I know there's a national donut day. There's probably going to be, there's probably got to be some kind of like national deer day. Maybe you could write about like the top 10 things to do on national deer day or something, you know? And so when you hear those kind of things, that would be pretty frustrating. It's like, okay, this person is not, uh, you know, a writer or doesn't understand the market and they want to tell you what you should be writing about. And, uh, but I mean, there's good things too. Uh, newspapers, like you said, their staffs are much smaller. And so compared to when I started, you know, newspapers, most newspapers don't even have an outdoor section anymore. Uh, you know, but sometimes I look at that as like, that's an opportunity for a freelancer. You know, they may not buy your stuff every week and commit to a column, but if you can write about, you know, hunting or fishing or hiking or camping and it's relevant to them, you know, you can make some money selling to different newspapers that way. Same way with magazines, staffs are smaller. Uh, you know, and, you know, and if, as long as they're willing to pay and they're still buying stories in the end, it doesn't really matter if it goes on a printed page or if it goes online, right? You're still getting paid to tell a story about the stuff you love to do. So it's not all doom and gloom. There's certainly opportunities out there. It's just a different kind of a ball game. And, and if you're going to sell it online magazines nowadays, it helps to have more than just the skill, right? Of one thing, you can write a story. But I've done freelance magazines, you know, stories where they say, okay, uh, you know, for example, a couple of years ago, I did a story on using rails to trails as opportunities to fish, right? Pedal and fish as you go kind of thing. And this was an uh, organization that put out their magazine four times a year, but they said, we want your story for the one a year that's digital only, doesn't go in print. So in addition to the story, they wanted to know, could I shoot some video of somebody pedaling or fishing, that kind of thing. And so if you can do that kind of stuff, uh, you know, that helps. It's always been helpful if you could take your own pictures, because if you're a writer and a magazine or newspaper decides, you know, I want this story and you have pictures to go with it, they can buy it all in one thing. And it's, you know, one person, it's very clean and smooth as opposed to if they sell, they buy the story from you and then they have to go looking for pictures from somebody else. So, uh, you know, that's always been the case. But now if you can add video or something like that to it, there's, you know, that helps as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things that that I've noticed that seems to in my head it, it, it's going to help uh and that's that you know when you have these sort of bigger newspapers that don't have an outdoor section anymore what i've noticed is the small newspapers have still have a lot of outdoor uh articles maybe not necessarily like an outdoor section but they have a lot of still outdoor articles and I feel like a lot of people want those newspapers or buy that newspaper because of those outdoor articles. Uh, so it's almost been like a little bit of a, I don't, I don't want to say a boost. I'm not going to say that these smaller newspapers are making more money, but it's at least been able to keep them afloat. It seems at least in my head as a little bit of an outsider. No, I think so. That's one thing that we've always, I've always kind of thought is that the smaller newspapers, which tend to kind of be hyper local anyway, uh, you know, they're not going to, you know, subscribe to a service like the Associated Press or, you know, rely on the big chain that they're a part of to give them a story about, you know, hiking uh, Pennsylvania's Grand Canyon, let's, for example, you know, or or even some, you know, that's pretty well known, or maybe even something smaller, you know, like pick a trail in, uh, you know, Center County that's great, or a stream in Center County that's great, or a place in Green County that's, you know, great for bird hunting. They're not going to find those kind of stories anywhere else, and there's like no big syndicated kind of thing or chain that's going to produce those kind of stories but the people that live in those places i think still have interest in that i mean we saw a lot of that when the pandemic hit and you know state parks for the first time and ever were turning people away because people were you know with nothing else to do were going outside and you know now that the pandemic is over some of those people have gone back inside but there are lots of people that that learned like oh i can there's a state park near me that I didn't know existed and I can go there and fish or I can take a hike or, you know, uh, you know, we're like at the game question, we're doing all kind of programs trying to introduce people to hunting. So, I mean, there's an interest in that kind of stuff, I think. And it's the person that lives in that area that it can certainly is in many cases is the one and only person that's going to be able to provide that stuff to the newspaper. Right. So, especially if you're willing to not just, you know, if you're a, let's say a fly fisherman and that's all you write about, that's fine. But if you're somebody that is, you know, kind of does a little bit of everything and you can write for that paper this week on fly fishing somewhere near there. And then two weeks later, you write a story about a hike you did. And then two weeks after that, you write about, well, it's the start of archery season and you can write about that. I, I think there's opportunities for that kind of stuff for sure. 
So I'm going to give you uh, an opportunity here for a little bit of a uh, hypothetical. You have one last story that you can write about and you get to go somewhere, all expenses paid, like no worries about any of that kind of stuff. Uh, you can write it as long or as short of an article as you want. It could be a series. It could be anything that you want. Uh, what would you pick? Oh, boy. Uh, well, one place I've never been, I've always dreamed of going was to Alaska. So, I mean, yeah, if it was sort of like no holds barred, no expense was too big. I mean, sometimes you read about in the old days, which were really the glory days of a, maybe a Jack O'Connor outdoor life or somebody or, you know, where they would get sent to Alaska and say, OK, we want you to go up there for, you know, eight weeks and you're going to fish for salmon this week. And then next week you're going to hunt, you know, black bears and caribou. And then the week after that, you're going to go hunt a moose and, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that might be kind of kind of cool to go and do something like that to just say, you know, this is, uh, you know, what every guy or gal that's ever got into hunting or fishing and, you know, to just get paid to do it. Not even, you're not even at the time thinking about writing about it for eight weeks. You're just going to go do it, you know, sort of like you're the mountain man or a pioneer of old. And then when you come back, then we'll stick in front of a keyboard. Then you got to turn some stuff out for, for eight weeks. Just go, go do all your stuff. That might be kind of cool. We need to find funding for you and I to go do that together <laughs> because that sounds absolutely amazing to me. Yes, yes. And every time I price these hunts, when you got to pay for them on your own, it's like, well, okay, do I send a kid to college for a year or I can go on a moose hunt? I guess I'll. <laughs> well, Bob, thanks for joining me and uh, talking about being an outdoor writer and little uh, tidbit here of the outdoor industry. You know, uh, I really, I want to make sure that it, I say this, you know, publicly, I, I sort of alluded to it, but you know, you are definitely one of the uh, inspirations for me to sort of try my hand at uh, being an outdoor communicator. And, um, you know, I look forward to uh, everything that I can read uh, that has your name attached to it. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this. No, no, I really appreciate the kind words. And uh, I get where you're coming from. When I was getting started, every time we would go anywhere out of town, my wife would always laugh. I had to stop at Every gas station we passed, it was on a Sunday to try and buy the local paper and see if they had an outdoor guy and what he was doing that maybe I could do. So, you know, anything I could do to help other folks get started, I'm more than happy to do it. So, That'll do it for today's episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for to Bob for coming on. Uh, you know, I really appreciate um the conversations that I've had with him both in this episode and outside of this episode, you know, I, I, I have followed Bob's career. You know, I, I remember reading his stories when he was at the, at the Tribune Review, um, always looking forward to those columns. And uh, now that, you know, he's writing for the PA Game News, uh, which I get, you know, for being a uh, Hunter Ed instructor, uh, it's great to read those articles too. And then to be able to meet him at the Pennsylvania Outdoor Writers Association Conference uh, this past spring, uh, that was that was just so cool. That's one of those, you know, meeting your heroes type deal, you know, as I'm trying to break into this outdoor media space here and um, be able to meet him and, and, you know, really be able to pick his brain a little bit, ask him questions, and then talk to him a couple more times uh, since then and um, really look at him as, I don't want to say a mentor, uh, that might be a little too strong of a word, but um, someone that, you know, can, can sort of help me hone those skills and become a better outdoor media person. Uh, you know, I'm doing a podcast. That's, that's different than writing, um, but a lot of the skills are transferable. And then, you know, into that, as, as I grow and as I'm doing this, you know, we're now into the sixth season uh, of this podcast and I'm looking to expand and I'm looking to do more. Uh, and, you know, writing is sort of the next thing uh, for me uh, that I'm really drawn to. So, you know, to be able to, to talk to him and, and pick his brain and get to sort of hear about, you know, what his career was like and um, the process and, you know, little tips and things like that, that is definitely something that uh, will serve me well into the future. And, you know, if, it, it would have been cool to be able to get some of the information that he provided today, you know, before I started all this, uh, some of the things that I learned through trial and error, maybe I could have avoided, but, you know, at the same time, that's, you know, sometimes part of the process, you know, you, 
you try something, you think you have a good idea, and it doesn't always pan out uh, the way that you uh, anticipated it would. So big thanks for, for Bob coming on. If you're interested in becoming you know, an outdoor writer or getting into the outdoor media, uh, check out the uh, your state's Outdoor Writer Association. You know, for Pennsylvania, we have the Pennsylvania one. I'm a member. It's been a great resource and networking opportunity for me. Uh, and it would be the same for you, I'm sure, with your state association. And then on top of that, there's also uh, POMA, which is you know, Professional Outdoor Media Association. That's more of a, a national, 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 national wide, nationwide association. Uh, here I am having, having trouble talking. Um, I'm not a member of that yet. Um, but, um, I definitely see that coming in my future. So if you're interested, definitely check out those associations. Um, great networking, great resources to, uh, hone your skills and make you better at what you think your passion is going to be until next episode, make sure that you get outside, take someone with you. And of course, as always stay wild. Just like you, I've been on a search for ways to tell the world I'm passionate about the outdoors. Things like a beautifully designed sticker, a well-fitting hat, or a comfortable shirt, all while working to help the outdoor community. Well, I think I finally found a company who checks all the boxes. Wild Rooted is an eco-conscious, family-owned company with a wide range of products, from stickers to shirts printed with algae ink, and hat patches, key fob holders, and keychains made with a plant-based leather alternative called Miram. They have an inspirationally designed product for you. Not only that, but 10% of all profits are donated to our wonderful national parks and forests. It doesn't get any better than that. Head over to wildrooted.com and use CU Free Ship 23 at checkout to get your gear. That's C-U-F-R-E-E. S-H-I-P-2-3 at wildrooted.com.